Round one was over. <laughs> Parents won. Kids sipped. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a mouse. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Gentlemen, start your engines. Bunch of madness around here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DDP Today, a show that's a little about us, a lot about Disney and fun for the whole family. My name is Justin, and today I am joined by two of my buddies, my brothers, my pals, my amigos, all the other things I can say about them. So let me go around the table, see how everybody's week was before we get into our awesome topic tonight. I'm going to start with my buddy up uh, in the winter wonderland cold. I'm expecting it's cold because it's cold here. The great Dan Rossi. How are you, man? I'm good. I mean, it, I mean, it's not a winter wonderland. It's like... It's in the 50s and like the 40s at night. It's not that's not winter. It's it's a little brisk, but it's not bad. I I actually did my first run, my my first get ready for the half marathon today. Uh that the first that first half mile it was going badly. Like I haven't run in like 4 or 5 years. And that first half mile I was trying to convince myself to just turn around and go back home because this was like <laughs> I thought my legs were gonna fall off. I'm like my knees are killing me. I'm like this is terrible. What what am I doing? And you know I pushed through. I like I said this wasn't a long run. It was only like a mile and a half. So I just it's baby steps. So I'm gonna get there. And uh, you and I we are gonna finish this darn race uh, on January sixth, uh, one way or the other. So podcast host legs are falling off. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh I've got to get started, man. I'm sitting here. We've talked about it multiple times. So tomorrow, I think I'm going to get out and, and get a nice workout and a nice run in uh, because you know, we've talked about this. You know, we're not huge runners. And for those of you who have who have not done it, go over and, of course, join the DDP Sorcerer's running page over there because that is a place full of positivity. And that's one place I go that motivates me. And I need to just get up and get that first step going because you and I have uh, – Marathon Weekend is fast approaching, buddy. And uh, we definitely have to have to reach our goal. Uh, yeah. of getting that done so uh but speaking of someone who's a great runner uh i gotta go down to my great friend mr joe q how are you buddy yeah what's up man how are you um i'm not too far behind you guys on the training it's uh it's been a challenging uh summer and fall so far with uh with work and stuff with the family over so i have not done as much running and training as i've wanted to so uh, i'm hoping to get out there with you the weather's been beautiful down here in central florida it's finally uh, got a little bit of fall it was like 51 degrees this morning which was absolutely amazing uh, so it's like perfect running weather right now, but I haven't been out there as much either, guys. So uh, you're in good company right now. So we'll <laughs> all finish this eventually, but uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I know. I expect the balloon ladies to make an appearance at this. Uh, no, 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 never. Me. No, I saw them think, last you year. Think man. I think I can no. stay away. Think I can stay away. Yeah, you can. What what pace are they usually at? So they're they so Dan they are at a 16 minute pace from the very last person that crosses the starting line at the very back. So that's why it's really important for you if you have a time that you could submit to not be in the very last group. Right. Well, how like if we can't submit a time. Yeah. What do we do? Like what what are our chances of not being in the last group? If um, well, if you have no time, you're probably most likely going to be in the last group or close to it. My best suggestion is get to the crowd early, get up to the front as close as possible (laughs) and just, (laughs) you know, we'll just push our way to the front. Just push away. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. 
<laughs> there, 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 are, there are some other ways uh, we can talk about them offline, and I know our runners who are listening probably know what I'm talking about. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll talk about those off the show. So, uh, well, <laughs> boys, let's get into it because uh, as we record right now, it is October the 17th, 2023, and yesterday was a massive day for the Disney Company in the fact that we look uh, at a hundred years of the Walt Disney Company being formed. Celebrate that. Of course, we've been celebrating in the parks now for quite a while, but uh, you know, major milestone for this company that we all love and and uh you know the things we love about it and so tonight we thought we would go through the biggest moments in disney history and uh, kind of go through the things in our minds that made the biggest impact whether that be a positive or a negative impact on the company um because look you can't have highs unless you have lows and whenever you're around 100 years you're going to have a lot of both so we're going to run through some of these and chat about them just kind of give our opinions we're not going to get into really the historical aspects of a lot of it because look you can look that up you know a lot of these but we just kind of want to give our opinion on what, why this is a major moment. Why is this a milestone for the company? Well, you know, something. Whenever you're looking at 100 years and you can pick out, you know, 10, 15 things, uh, what makes those things so important to the company? So uh, I think, guys, we have to we have to get in our time machine and we have to go back 100 years and we go back to October the 16th, 1923. And of course, that is the founding of the Walt Disney Company. You know, it all started Joe with. Walt Disney and his brother, they had the Laughagram studio there in Kansas City, and uh, it all started with the Alice in Wonderland series. And uh, they brought in the course of great Virginia Davis and, and did those. And uh, they went bankrupt with Laughagram. And then they went on to uh, find a distributor there in New York named uh, Margaret Winkler, and they signed on to do six more Alice comedies. And listen, this was really the start of the Disney company because they were able to then go on and uh, and find the Disney Brothers studio on October 16th, 1923. It all starts, not with a mouse, like they say. It all starts, actually, back uh, at Laughagram years and years prior. Yeah, and I think that, um, and I don't know if I'm 100% right on this, Justin, but I think, uh, I, this is my, always, my opinion about this, I think that Roy was, I think Walt got all the credit, but I think a lot of this has to do with the success of the company, getting it started, getting all those like original projects like, you know, underway was because of Roy, his brother. I mean, he was, you know, I think Roy was I mean, uh, Walt was kind of like the uh, the the creative part of the of the brothers. And Roy was kind of like the dollars and cents kind of guy. Right. Like mm -hmm. getting those deals done. I just think he doesn't get enough credit. You know what I'm saying? So um, I kind of want to throw that out there. I don't know if 100 percent if like he was involved with that, but I just think, you know, from what I understand, you know, Roy was a big part of like, you know, getting this kind of like up and running, you know, with the dollars and cents in the background. Oh, it's huge. So whenever we look at the company as a whole, this would have never happened without Roy Disney. Why? Because Walt wasn't a money guy. Well, he just wasn't. Walt was an ideas. He was the face of the company. And a lot of times Walt's ideas were larger than the checkbook, you know, was they they would go into debt many, many times. They would uh, mortgage off properties. They would put kind of everything and push all their chips in the middle multiple times to kind of push the company forward. But if you look at like innovators throughout history, that's what they do. They take risk whenever other people just wouldn't. And, uh, you know, the good thing about Roy and, you know, I'm an only child, so I don't know, but to have an, a brother who would say, Hey, I believe in you enough. And I believe in your passion and your ideas enough that I am with you, uh, that we're going to, we're going to risk everything. Not once, not twice, not three times, but many, many times over to continue to build the brand and build what they wanted to do. I think that makes Roy so important to the story. It makes Roy so important to the company. And you're exactly right. But here was the funny part. You know, Dan, when you look at Roy, he was okay taking a step back. He didn't need to be the face of the company. He wanted to be behind the scenes. 
Um, he, we're going to talk down the line about how Roy kind of gets thrust into the limelight, but in the moment, he just wanted to kind of sit back, support his brother, and uh, and kind of be that financial guru that was going to figure out a way to get it done. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of wanted to be the guy in the background that kind of, you know, I want to say like the Wizard of Oz, kind of like controlling everything from the back. But I thought, wasn't it originally known as like Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio? And he suggested, mm-hmm. let's let's name it the Walt Disney Studio. So, I mean, again, you know, he, he's the kind of the brains behind the operation. And, you know, he just kind of wanted to be in the back. And heck, I could have used a Roy uh, <laughs> growing up, just someone that was there to kind of guide me along the way. But yeah, he, he is a huge part of this. You know, it's it's one of those things, too, where they had such major setbacks at an early time. You know, we fast forward just a little bit and they're having a lot of success. They are at the Disney studio there on Hyperion Street and they've got Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, who is a massive, massive success. That's hard to say. Um, (laughs) And you look at it and it wasn't until years down the road, 1928, when Walt kind of figures out because he actually goes to New York and he goes to meet with Charles Mintz and he says, Hey, I want more money for these. Like you, you need to pay me more. And Mintz just says, I don't need to pay you anything because we own the rights to Oswald. And Walt Disney finds out, Hey, our beloved first character that we've really kind of hung our hat on is completely gone. We don't own him anymore. We don't have the rights anymore. And it was that train ride back that he had to figure something out. And, you know, with moves us to 19, uh, November 18th of 1928, and we're going to fast forward a little bit, and that is the debut of Steamboat Willie. I mean, Dan, this is one of those iconic moments in cinema history to where we get this short, we get the beloved uh, character Mickey Mouse, and, uh, of course, you get sound along with it as well, which is something that had not been seen uh, before this awesome, awesome. And, look, it stands up even to today. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, you know, he could have created anything at that point. And, you know, why he decided to go with Mickey Mouse as opposed to anything else. And the fact that almost 100 years later, that that is the face of, of Disney World. It's the face of Disney. When if, if you hear the word Disney anywhere around the world, the first thing anyone's going to think of is Mickey Mouse or Walt Disney World. So, I mean, it it's crazy that, you know, in a moment of having to make that decision, he goes with this character and this character sticks and is such a big you know, part of everyone's life all throughout the world. You know, Joe, we talked about, hey, like, Walt saying, hey, we got to push all our chips in the middle. The, Steamboat Willie's not the first time we see Mickey, right? We see Mickey uh, before that with Plane Crazy and the Gallop and Gacho, and the problem was there was no sound. And Mickey didn't kind of resonate with audiences, and that's when Disney believed, hey, if we add sound to this, we're going to do something that's first. And people are going to love it. And that's what happened. That's what create. They pushed all the chips in the middle once again and said, hey, let's be first at this. And that's something we've seen the Disney company do over and over and over again. Yeah, it's like when you go and watch TV right now and throw a movie on mute. Like, it's terrible, right? You got to have sound to it. And back in like the 20s, right? I mean, this was Steamboat Willie was like, what, like six, seven minutes long or something like that. So, mm-hmm. so to put sound to something that long at the time that it never, you know, he had never done before. You know what I'm saying? Like it had that much success. I mean... It, it, I mean, just play Steamboat Willie with mute on. It's just, it's not the same, you know what I'm saying? But hear him whistling as he's like, you know, driving the, the steamboat down the river, whatever he's doing, you know, it just brings a whole other dimension to it. And the fact that, like, you know, debuted in New York, had such success, like, they, they rolled the dice, pushed everything in. I mean, it's just an incredible story. I mean, a couple of guys from, you know, Missouri, and their feature film debuts in New York, and it has great success. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, look, and it's it's one of those things, too, that we see Pete for the first time. You know what I mean? 
we see we see other characters for the first time and this is the the building blocks to this company think about man i can't imagine having like having something that you have no idea if it's going to resonate well i guess this podcast kind of like that but we're not you know we when we started doing this this was we weren't you know putting my house up for you know <laughs> if it, if it wasn't yeah. successful i wasn't going to have a home to live in I, I just can't imagine these two brothers. And you know, like I said, I don't have a brother, but I mean, I, I assume brothers fight. You know, I hear that all the time. You got brothers uh, here, man. You got brothers here. Well, brothers here. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So we don't fight. That's the one thing we don't do. We just don't fight. So um, my kids we, fight all you know, the time. I, I just don't. It's, it's, it's actually really brutal. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just can't imagine, Dan, having that kind of a gift to just go hey i i let's go all in let's do it over and over again well yeah i mean that's part of it you have to have i don't know if it's a gene that you have that you're that you're willing to take take chances like that because again i mean there's there's plenty of business people out there that, that take chances on things that you know essentially flop and there's a lot of things on this list that you know that that walt disney took chances on that very well could have flopped um you know, and I'm sure there's some things that we don't even know about that he tried that, you know, this just didn't work out for whatever reason. But again, he had the wherewithal to keep going and to present new ideas. And, you know, obviously a lot of them stuck really well. I mean, it's that it's that classic keep moving forward mindset. Yeah. And I think a lot of us could could use that. I've actually thought about that being my next tattoo is is keep moving forward. I can't get another tattoo. I don't I don't like needles. You don't, is, is that it, Joe? Is that why you won't get one? Because you don't, I don't like, needles? like needles, man, dude. I don't like needles. I don't like why. My brother was, um, real quick, a little side tangent. My brother got his first uh, tattoos, like kind of like a mini sleeve on his arm. And it's like a thing that our family doesn't do. Like nobody really has yeah. tattoos in our family. He's like sending me videos. He's like FaceTime me. I'm like, bro, I don't want to watch this, bro. I'm like, nah, I don't want to see this, bro. I'm like, no, thank you. It looks great. You know, he loves it, but I'm like, no, no, no I'm good. So it's painful. It's not bad. It's, it's painful. No, it's not that bad. I, I didn't it's like painful it. for like the first ten minutes, and then it just goes numb. No, it was I didn't like it, and I w- I had mine in a place that it's not supposed to be, you know, that painful. And I was like, this is terrible. I thought like, he was gonna leave it at that place that you're not supposed to be. <laughs> I was like, like, well, I it's like it was painful. It's like this is terrible. Like why why am I doing this? And I'm sitting here for an hour, and it just it still hurts the whole time. I mean, it wasn't like the worst thing in the world, but it was just painful. Dan's so, like, yeah. it still hurts to this day, and I got a 20 years ago. That's what I was going to say. I still, you know, <laughs> and it that's, still that's hurts. Really, that's really funny, man. Uh, you know, it's it. like I said, the Disney company continues to just innovate for years and years. We're going to fast forward, and we're going to go all the way to December the 21st, 1937. And we're going to talk about the absolute classic, the first full-length traditional animated feature film uh, of all time. And it was the first Disney feature film ever done. And everyone... Critics, including his own family, said this will fail. And we are talking about Disney Company releases Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs on December the 21st of 1937. It premiered at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. And this ends up being, Joe, one of the biggest hits the Disney Company will ever see. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Isn't um, there's some kind of building in Burbank, California that... I think references this film for some reason. <laughs> Scratching my head, Justin. What, what is well, that? I can't again? remember what that is. I, yeah, I, I can't I, remember what it is. It's a headquarters for some company. I don't know. Disney company. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, I would love to go back in time and like like talk to the people who said this movie would fail, 
it's the characters in today. One of my favorite meet and greets is the Seven Dwarfs. One of the best attractions in all of Walt Disney World. Super popular. The pillars and the, the characters are grace the building of the Walt Disney Company in Burbank, California. I, I, so popular, they, I'll say this a little controversial, they're trying to remake it when it's not needed, but they're, they want to go back because it's that popular, right? I mean, like, it's a franchise that's an absolute, it's not really a franchise, but, like, it's such a fantastic film. It had such success. And it's really, if you think about it, people forget about Steam. I mean, everybody knows about Steamboat Willie, right? But, like, you think you go back to Seven, you know, Snow White and Seven Doors, and you see all of those old, like, you know, movie and um, the newsreels from back in the day with people going to the theater to watch it. And literally, if that film would have went, if that film would have bust, they would have been bankrupt. So, I mean, that's just how important of a film it was. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's to this day, it's still, it's still an absolute classic. Well, they so they estimated that the film would cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make. When it was all said and done, it cost one point five million. This was 30, in 19... thirty two million in today's uh, day. So, about thirty two million dollars, right around what was that? The what, was that right around the um, uh, the Great Depression, almost right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable what they did, and then it goes on to gross. Like I said, it cost them one point five million. It goes on to gross eight million dollars worldwide, which. You know, Dan, like Joe just said, if this isn't a success, which everyone said it was going to fail, and it ended up being an international smash hit. People loved it. People got up and cheered. And, I mean, Walt Disney talks about being in the theater. And when, when you know, the movie ended, people crying and people getting up and cheering. And that moment for him must have been just this, okay, we got something. We're, yeah. we're good. Well, again, it's just it's him taking a chance. I mean, I w- when was the first like you know regular movie? I thought it was in like the late eighteen hundreds. You know, yeah, so you yep. you had you had regular movies out. There was no such thing as an animated movie. They just had all these little shorts. So I mean, you would think. I mean, you're taking a huge chance by spending all that money to create an animated long length feature film, uh, and. You know, again, if, if he didn't do this, I mean, how, how much does animated films make these days? I mean, it's got to be 30 to 40 percent of the industry now. There's just there's animated films coming out left and right, and mm-hmm. they're incredibly popular. So, again, I mean, and he had the, the, the insight to do this almost 100 years ago uh, when nobody else thought of doing this. They were probably that was like long down the road because now that they have, you know, film and they can do regular movies, you know, animation was probably going by the wayside and he brought it back. So a couple things I want I want people to do right now, okay? Just to give you an idea of how far ahead of the curve Walt Disney was. Google the June 3rd, 1929 release of Nosferatu, right? So it's a horror movie. But I just want you to watch a small clip of this film and then realize that eight years later, just eight years, Walt Disney releases Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And look at the films side by side, and you see the innovation that the Disney company did in that small period of time. Now, I know one is live action and one is animation, but still, it's absolutely unbelievable. Joe, here's how here's how influential this movie was, right? One, it was nominated for Best Musical Score at the Academy Awards. First animated film that ever happened, okay, in 1938. Didn't win. The next year, Walt Disney's awarded the honorary Oscar for the film. Very famous, um, very famous video of that happening with what was her what's her name uh it's a good uh, lollipop it's a, uh, what's the, what's the little girl's name you know she does the movies you know what i'm talking about uh, I oh, it's uh, shirley temple 
Shirley Temple. There, there you go. go. Uh, you know, presenting that to him. Absolutely amazing. And then if you fast forward, in 1989, the United States Library of Congress actually says it's one of the most 25 important films in United States history, and it is preserved for all time in the National Film Registry. That's a pretty big wow. deal. That's huge. And, and you know yeah. it, it should have won the was it Oscar, you said, or Academy Award? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it was nominated for Best Musical Score at the Academy Awards. Yeah, so it should have won. The people voting on it probably didn't know what to do with themselves. They're like, should we vote for this? Is this that, you know there was politics involved with that. They probably just oh, didn't know what time. to do with it. So it should have won. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, this thing, this thing led the Disney company to have massive success well down the road so but let's go let's fast forward a little ways boys because let's get into something that we know and we love and uh someplace that we were just at and i am talking about july 17th 1955 the walt disney company branches out from film and television and they go over to disneyland for the opening of the disneyland parks dan this was always a dream of walt disney's to have a place where he could not only spectate his his daughters but he could be a part of their life and they could do something as a family and so he creates disneyland he takes main street and he bases it off of marceline missouri his hometown that all of his beloved childhood memories come from and we have this magical place called disneyland there in anaheim california yeah i mean you know obviously this wouldn't have happened if any of this stuff before it didn't but i mean i, I honestly think this is probably one of the biggest things for this company in, in its 100 years. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it leads to many things down the road. But, I mean, Disneyland is something that, you know, brings so much joy to so many people. Uh, heck, it was our first trip here uh, this summer. Uh, absolutely loved it. I mean, Disneyland, I, I guess, you know, I don't even know. I'd like to know what it was like in that time, um, you know, when it was coming out and what people's thoughts were on, like, a, a theme park like that and, you know, what that would be like. But I mean, just again, incredible. I, I, I can't believe it. It's, you know, honestly, on this list, I think it is my number one uh, of the things that have happened in the hundred years. Oh, that's a huge statement. Uh, Joe, this like we're talking about a place that, like I said, Walt wanted for a long time when he would sit on the bench there in Griffith Park and, and watch his daughters ride the merry-go-round. And, you know, he couldn't be a part of it. He would sit there and eat his peanuts and feed the squirrels, but he just watched them and he wanted to be able to go and be a part of their lives. And whenever we talk about Disneyland, we once again, Walt's pushed all his chips in the middle. He has taken everything they have. And he's not only taken everything they have, Joe, he's taken even more. He doesn't have enough money to do food carts. He doesn't have enough money to do restaurants. He doesn't have enough money to finish attractions. So he has to reach out and he has to bring in uh, outside companies to be sponsors, you know, which we then see happen for the rest of Disney history whenever we talk about the parks. And, you know, the one thing I love about Walt Disney is this. He, Walt never dreamed small. He always dreamed large. Like, so originally they were going to build Disneyland right next to the studios in Burbank. And he realized instantly, he's like, hey, this is way too small. It can't hold the dreams that I have. I'm going to go somewhere else. And that's when they found the 160 acres there in Anaheim. Here's the amazing part, Joe. They buy the par the property in Anaheim in 1953, right? They design and create everything for Disneyland. Uh, and then in 1954, they begin construction. And then on uh, July 17, 1955, gates open and they have the massive television premiere opening of Disneyland. Absolutely incredible. 
Um, can somebody go and find the blueprints and tell them that they could finish Epcot, you know, as fast as they did <laughs> Disneyland? You know, I mean, it's That's like insane. it's amazing. It's amazing when you hear about like how fast they they built that with construction standards, how they were like in the mid fifties, even when they built Epcot, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit in the, the late seventies, early is how fast they built things. Right. And we're just kind of waiting years and years for things to happen here in Walt Disney world right now. It's yeah. kind of crazy, you know, but, um, but going back to, you know, Disneyland being opening, you know, it's, I find it amazing that, you know, there were kind of theme parks at the time, you know, that were out there and he took like the best of everything. Like, you know, doing a little bit of research, you know, he said that he took his inspiration from also from Knott's Berry Farm, Colonial Williamsburg, uh, Century of Progress in Chicago. Dan, even in your neck of the woods, New York World's Fair of 1939 um, and even a, um, the Tivoli Gardens in Denmark. He took a little bit of everything and, and, and combined that with his visions and created Disneyland. And it's just amazing how like it, it built a whole industry like there were theme parks right i mean you also got coney island a bunch of other things like that but this was to like the next level and imagine think about that justin right and i didn't know this i actually learned something tonight i had no idea that he actually looked at building this next to the studios in burbank yeah what a disaster that would have been if he tried to do that and it just like you know you know what that would have been like honestly that would have been like and they would have been like Universal when Universal Studios built their stuff like yep. right in the heart, and they're like itching for land right now. You know, so it would have been the same exact thing. So I'm glad that Walt and Roy went down to Anaheim and found that plot of land. You know, because that would have been awful. We we may not have what we have right now if that would have happened. So um, how things change, but yeah, it's crazy how uh, history kind of uh, you know kind of like unfolds itself. Well, the hard part too is you know it it made it more difficult on Walt because being away from the studios that far, you know, he had to spend the majority of his two years there in Anaheim to make sure this, this project got up and running and was taken care of. And so that's when we get the creation of the apartment over, over the firehouses because he couldn't drive back and forth and he wanted to be able to be there in the park. And, you know, he was missing a lot of time. Uh, you know, the one thing I love, and of course it's called black Sunday and that's opening day. We talk about Walt's failures opening day of Disneyland. I mean, so much went wrong here. Walt had invested everything. He knew how important it was to, to have that great first impression and everything goes wrong. They 28,000 people attend Dan. They only sold 14,000 tickets. So about half the tickets were counterfeit. The rest of the people actually, we there was a farm. I don't know if you can even imagine this now. There was a farm <laughs> on uh, the other side of Disneyland, and people went over to the farm, used ladders, and came over the walls of Disneyland onto opening day. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. everything from, everything from, Dan, everything from the concrete's not dry, women's high yeah. heels are being stuck in the That's concrete. That's my favorite, man. <laughs> yep. Walt had to make a decision that, and that, that'll tell you it's 1955, right? People are wearing high heels in the parks. Um, you don't see that now. Uh, you know, Walt had to make a decision. Then he had to say, we don't have enough funding right now to have both running toilets and water fountains. So he had to say, well, let's just get rid of the water fountains for now and we'll have running toilets. I mean, everything you think of, two-hour waits to get in the park because of backed-up traffic. I mean, literally everything went wrong, yet because of his dream to create a place where families from around the world could enjoy uh, something together and, and dream of something together, it's a success. And not just a success, a, a huge success for the Disney company. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I guess it was going wrong, but it was going wrong in a good way because you had too many people wanting to come. It would have been a different story if, you know— he wanted to sell 14,000 tickets and he could only sell 5,000 tickets and you know people weren't that interested. People were so interested that they were hopping over fences from from farmland in Anaheim to get into the place. So I mean again it was 
it was, you know, yeah, it was a little bit of a disaster on the opening, but nothing of this magnitude had ever been opened before. So, you know, yeah, it, it kind of sucked at first because, you know, he just he wasn't prepared for the amount of interest that was in the park. Uh, but the fact that there was that much, much interest, at least, you know, it, you know, brought him to the fact that he had to, you know, fix some things, get some things done. But obviously the interest was there. So, I mean, that's that's what made it a success. Uh, you know, we're talking 1959, you know, he's standing there and he's looking over his park and he's having celebrities, not just from the United States, from around the world traveling to come here. The, the One of my favorites is, you know, we're talking 1959. We don't have the best relationship with Russia and uh, the Soviet first secretary, Nikita Khrushchev, um, was spending 13 days in the United States on a diplomatic mission. Right. Two requests. One to meet John Wayne, two, to go to Disneyland. So it just tells you the worldwide reach that this man and this company and this park had. Uh, it was, Joe, it's absolutely a monster success for Disney. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because, you know, John Wayne Airport and, and uh, you know, in, in down in Southern uh, California, right? So it's kind of how it all ties together. But yeah, I mean, and think about that. It Information didn't travel that quickly back then, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? We didn't have social media and instant internet and all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty impressive how like a Soviet diplomat where it's, you know, we weren't, I mean, I guess it's before technically before the cold war, but like, I'm sure we weren't like, you know, <laughs> the greatest in terms of Russia. That's pretty impressive that he wanted to, uh, to meet Walt Disney. I mean, and listen, all of us would love to have met Walt Disney. Right. But I just want to go back to the opening. Right. Just think about this. Think about all of the security, all of the things that we have to go to to enjoy our theme parks. I'm just picturing like women in high heels and long skirts and men in like their Sunday's best with ladders climbing over walls to get into <laughs> Disneyland. It's just it absolutely blows my mind what they did to get it. And they, and they got away with it. It's just I find it hysterical. It's, it's pretty funny. Well, one of the things that really like this is an opening day, but um, when Richard Nixon goes to Disneyland. Have you ever heard this story, Joe? Is this about the monorail and the daughters? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so have you ever heard this, Dan? Uh-uh. This is a great story. So Richard Nixon goes to Disneyland. Walt Disney invites him himself, right? So Walt Disney wants to kind of show off his monorail, right? So Richard Nixon has his Secret Service all around him, and Disney puts him on the monorail, and the monorail takes off, and the Secret Service is just left back <laughs> in, like, it's pretty it was it wasn't deemed a kidnapping, but people say that the president was kidnapped uh, in Disneyland by Walt Disney on the monorail. Um, so yeah, it wasn't it also things. Justin because I think Bob Gurr told the story as well. I think didn't they think that the monorail they weren't sure if it was gonna work either yeah. like they weren't hundred yeah. percent sure if it was gonna work or not. They still don't know. what are you talking about? Yes, exactly yeah. <laughs> it still doesn't work today. They still don't know. Well, let's fast forward a little bit because I think this one is as important as Disneyland. Uh, we're fast forwarding nine years to April the 22nd, 1964, and that is the World's Fair. Um, this goes down as something that, when you, if you're a Disney Parks fan, the innovation that comes out of this is absolutely massive. And of course, we're talking about great moments with Mr. Lincoln and It's a Small World. Disney goes on to create the first ever audio-animatronic human uh, lifelike structure with Abraham Lincoln. And we've now gone on to see, Dan, that the Disney company has perfected this. They use audio animatronics in most attractions and uh, really a huge kind of point for Disney to be able to go in and highlight what they're going to do, the next great thing that's going to come to the Disney parks. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think, you know, I'm trying to think how long ago is that? My math is terrible. We're talking like almost 60 years. 60 mm-hmm. years ago, they they invented this technology w- with these human animatronics um, that, you know, we still see in the parks today. Obviously, you know, they're, some of them are much more advanced, uh, some of the animatronics they have in the parks. But, like, it is crazy that, you know, even as, as old as I am, <laughs> it's even older than me that they came out with this technology, you know, back in 1964. I mean, it's incredible. And then, and then it's a small world. It's a small world. It's still like one of the rides that people will flock to when on their first trip to Disney World. They're like, "Hey, I got to ride." It's a small world, and it's a, and it's an attraction that is over 60 years old. So yeah, it's but, it's but pretty Dan, awesome. But Dan, think about this, man. Us as hardcore Disney fans, when these 60 plus year old technology doesn't work, we lose our minds and we're like, why? We love it so much. That's how good this stuff is. It's not like it's like, ah, it's an old, like it's old technology, like get rid of it. You know, like we love it. That's how good we, you know, like when the animatronics go down in Three Caballeros or some of them don't work in Small World and they haven't really gotten to them yet. We get upset as hardcore Disney fans. That's how great. And how, and yes, we have the ones in Navi River Journey, which are like a thousand times better, right? But even right. the classics, we still absolutely love. And and if they were ever to go away, and I know, we, you know we've all heard rumors about like, they don't, there's not a lot of people that can repair these as much anymore, or the parts are hard to get. They don't really make these parts anymore. It would be a real shame if this kind of technology kind of went away and yeah. was replaced with screens or something else. It, would, it wouldn't be the same. It's just a really cool experience to experience those in person and would be sad from it for it to really go away it's that good no i agree yeah, so it, let me yeah go ahead dan sorry i was gonna say like because like you know i'll use the tiki room as, a, as an example like you know i've brought i brought friends into the tiki room that weren't huge disney fans and they're just like yeah you know this isn't you know anything for me whatever i'm not going to go on this again and i'm like are you crazy this is this is fantastic you know can you realize how old this is but again i think that's just like a disney fan thing that you know that's something that we want to see all the time and like just joe said i am afraid that at some point all that stuff is probably going to go away hope not i i hope i hope that the nostalgia because i you know i i can't remember we talked about this at some point maybe it was on a patron uh the nostalgia factor for Disney is a like having an ace in the hole. I mean, it's they have something that other properties and other companies really don't have. When we're growing up, and you know, our kids are growing up, our kids are growing up now. But even before, like when you talk about my mom and like they, Disney has this brand of nostalgia that they need to embrace. Like they they need to quit trying to get rid of and i understand updating walt always said he never wants it to be completed always is changing and that's great but there are certain key moments in disney history and certain key characters and 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 people that they need to be embraced and they need to be held and they need to be kept for forever and these types of original audio animatronics are i I think are a staple you know with disney fans around the world whether they are nine years old or 99 years old I just think that's one of those things that stayed. Let me get, let me, before we move on, let me leave you with a quote by Walt Disney. So during a 1964 episode of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, uh, Walt actually came out and he previewed uh, President Lincoln with Great Moments of Mr. Lincoln. And here's how he described this brand new technology. He said, Disneyland gave us a new art and a new type of artist, one that works with a slide rule and blowtorch instead of pencil and brush. Just as we had to learn to make our animated cartoons talk, we had to find a way to make attraction figures talk too. 
we created a new field of animation. That's how he looked at that show. He didn't look at it as, you know, something separate. He said, we're going to take what we've done now for the last, what, 40 years? And we're going to build on it. But instead of handing you a pencil, we're going to hand you a blowtorch and a slide rule and say, get to work. And it's brilliant. And you know why? And I'm going to jump a teeny bit ahead, Justin. So pardon me with this, but it's no different than going from traditional animation to what we see today with the computer animation with like Pixar and that kind of stuff. It's the same thing. It's the next evolution of it. It's absolutely brilliant that the forethought that went into that, you know what I'm saying? And, and it still continues to this day. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I'm coming right back to you because this is something that I know when we were putting this list together, you said, hey, this has got to be there. And this is um, something that, that comes because of the things we've talked of before. The growth of the company has reached a pivotal point they know that they need to do another massive venture. Disneyland was a huge success. And so Walt Disney starts to look at other places around the country where he could build a theme park of his dreams, where he's not limited by space, which he is now in Anaheim. Because when 1955, when they purchased that land, they build Disneyland. There's not much around the area. What happens instantly once Disneyland opens, everything gets bought up. Everything gets built around there. If you've been to Disneyland, I mean, it's a little better now because they've been able to expand out. But you can walk two blocks and you're off Disney property. He says, I want to build a place where I, all of our dreams can always come true. We can expand forever. And we look forward to November the 15th, 1965, when the Florida Project's announced, Joe. Yeah, and think about this. Um, so the Florida Project was announced, right? But during that whole time, you know, Walt Disney and his brother and the company, they're, they're buying up land all over Central Florida, right? And, they're, and at the time, you know, Central Florida was swamps, and it was farmland where cowboys, you know, and cattle were, mm -hmm. I mean, and it's not the central Florida that we know and, and love today. And, uh, I just think it's, it's kind of a baller move, Justin, that it's he's like, he's, he's taken planes over. Like, first of all, he identifies this area, right? Which I find funny because he identifies an area called orange County, Florida, where his Disneyland's in orange County, California. So it's kind of a coincidence, right? Uh, and he go and he's flying airplanes and he's like picking out like random spots and he's then going and then purchasing this under shell companies. Now I'm not a businessman. I, I'm sure this is probably legal, but if this was being done today, I don't know if he'd get away with this. I think it would be exposed super quickly. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't be able to do this, but uh, the fact that he did this and then eventually, you know, the uh, the press kind of finds out about it, and then he kind of come clean with Governor Hayden Burns back in the day in 1955, governor of the state of Florida. And um, but you know what? They it happened again, right, Justin? Like we have 192, right? And we have yep. stuff built all around it. But he built enough of a buffer to where like we have our bubble, and that's the one thing that Disneyland. We were well, I wasn't there this summer, but I've been before. We can all agree Disneyland's kind of got a bubble, but it doesn't. You could see the outside world when you're on certain rides there you've got that bubble for the most part in disney world and he did a great job with that but i i, I find the florida project announcement super intriguing i think it's uh it's funny how they have like the press conference and roy is there and uh and then the price of land like goes up like what 10 times whatever it oh, is it's, it's like 10 times over yeah, yeah. it's just, it's just crazy but i just i just think it's such an awesome um part of history uh not only for the walt disney company but state of florida and for just like an american general how this entrepreneur did that i just it's just really a baller move it's just really a cool part of uh american history and for uh history of the walt disney company for sure well he's super smart because he looks at the land and he goes hey uh you know this is a place where we can keep it open year round the weather's good 
Um, and also he looks and sees kind of that crossover between two coasts of Florida and says it's perfect. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. He says at the press conference, he says, after taking a look, just imagine this. He's flying in a plane before he comes to the press conference. He says, after taking a look at the land this morning, I say we're starting from scratch. We have many things in mind that can make this unique and different than Disneyland. Think about in his mind of everything that was going through that he wanted this to be. You know, we talk about Epcot before that, you know, the original idea of, you know, Epcot and what it was going to be. And, of course, we'll get to that and the changes that come uh, with some things that happen in the near future. But this is so huge, the fact that he's able to get this land, he's able to create this bubble that we call it now where dreams will never die. He's able to expand forever, and that's a huge part. And one thing I love about this show is we expand as well. And when we do it, we add on the OG of the host. Coming in for this episode, the great Mike. What's up, buddy? This call to the bullpen. That? Yeah, this call to the bullpen. Sponsored by. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just had to. Uh, I had to. Work was running late today. I don't mean to. I'm, I won't bore you with the details of that. That was. Uh, it was kind of my own fault too. So I'll explain to you guys later what that was all about. But uh, but yeah, I'm glad I got to join you guys tonight. I know it's a little bit late. Um, running a little bit behind the eight ball here, but here I am. So uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit of Disney stuff with you guys. The acumen of the show just went up, Justin. Like it just definitely it did, just raised. Everything just raised got a lot better now. That's it. Uh, Mike, you know, we're chatting about we've kind of worked through all the way up to November the 15th, 1965, and the Florida project gets announced. And just the importance of the Disney company to be able to say, hey, we're building a second theme park. We are going to we're going to come to Florida and we are going to build something you've never seen before. And I think that's a really monumental moment for the Disney company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, I mean, it, it gives you know having the West Coast and the East Coast gives it so much opportunity for families to kind of you know gravitate towards one towards the other. I think um, if I was leaning towards more of if I could gravitate to one park uh, geographically, I would probably uh, gravitate more to the California Park. But it's not that they were able to give this option to us East Coast people, especially us local East Coast people, where we can head down there quite a bit. Um, then let me talk to you, Dan, about this one. Let me let me give you this quote. Uh, talking about Epcot. Uh, He says, and this was his dream for Epcot, he says, but the most exciting and by far the most important part of our Florida project, in fact, the heart of everything we'll be doing in Disney World will be our experimental prototype community of tomorrow. We call it Epcot. It's like the city of tomorrow ought to be a city that caters to the people as a service uh, function. It will be a planned, controlled community, a showcase for American industry and research schools, cultural and educational opportunities um, this is something, Dan, that, of course, we don't see happen, but this was Walt's dream for this project. Yeah, and again, Epcot still happened, not exactly in the same you know realm that Walt wanted it to happen. But I think the cool part of all this, too, was that this was all documented. So this was all like broadcast on the wonderful world of Disney. I would love if, if Disney did that moving forward with some of their bigger projects, whether it's an expansion of a park or something like that, and document it. Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, like, this is one of the first things that I watched when when it came out on Disney+. Plus. Like, these, like, old historical things where you have Walt on film talking about, you know, the Florida Project and Epcot and stuff like that. And it, it's just, you know, I'm not a huge history guy, but being able to watch this on TV um, is, is, is the, the stuff about Disney that I really enjoyed seeing. Yeah. Um, you know, he has this massive moment in 1965 where he announces the Florida Project. He is spending a ton of his time now in Central Florida, starting to plan, starting to get this ready. And unfortunately, uh, it's just a little over, it's 13 months to the day 
uh, later that on December the 15th, 1966, Walt Disney dies uh, of cancer. And he, they always, the, uh, Roy was in the room and he's rubbing his brother's feet um, as Walt's about to pass. And he's, he's, Walt looks at him and, and you know, kind of says he, he sees the view of Epcot on, on the ceiling. Um, Diane Disney always told that story. There's a great documentary where she kind of, kind of goes through that, that he saw the, the full Florida project. But the problem was, Mike, you know, when we look at, the passing of Walt Disney. And we talked about this early on with even our first thing, talking about the creation of the Walt Disney company. Walt was the dreamer. Walt was the person who he was the idea guy. And it kind of left the company and the people within the company, including, including Roy Disney, a massive void of everything was up in the air. They were a ship blind in the night with what to do with this new Florida project. And it's a, it's a, after so many successes, it's a major scary moment for the Disney company and the Disney family without their leader there. Yeah, not not having you know having that sense of the unknown, not knowing when you have such a person that's such a leader and such a visionary that just could come up with these you know amazing ideas and actually put them to fruition and make them work um, was something that. I guess if you're working for that company and all of a sudden that's gone, um, it's kind of like, well, what's what's you know wait for the shoe to drop? What's going to happen next? Um, I will say that, the, you know, obviously we know as we talk, as time goes on, the company, you know, was able to bounce back and do some fantastic things and make it one of the great places that it is now. But um, it almost makes you also kind of wonder, like, if Walt was still around, if, you know, if he stayed around for another 10 or 15 more years, mm-hmm. what would we be looking at? What would actually have gotten, you know, would Epcot be what it was or, um, you know, would everything have turned out the way that we see it now? Or would, you know, would Walt have some other crazy idea right now of something else going forward? But, um, but yeah, I mean, when you lose such an icon like that, it's obviously extremely tough on you know the 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 whole company itself the people that work for that and then you know i mean future generations to come and go yeah it's joe it's one of those things where roy disney originally was retiring he he was stepping away from the company um he he was ready to say you know kind of not wash your hands up he said it's my, i've done my part it's my time to, to step away and he had to defer he had to, he had to say nope i can't i gotta put retirement on hold to step in you know, I don't think you can step into Walt's shoes, but he had to step in as kind of the leader of this company. And of course, you know, one of the first things that happens is Epcot, the idea of it and Walt's dream of this experimental city is gone. Well, first of all, before you even get there, like, uh, I'll say this, you know, Walt was such a leader and a visionary, right? And his brother has to pick up the, the, you know, the plans and run with it. And this is why, you know, we, everybody loves Walt. Uncle Walt, we love Walt, right? The partner statue, Walt, with you know Mickey Mouse. That's why I love whenever I go to Magic Kingdom. I go, I pay respect to Roy, and I go sit on a bench with him and Minnie because we would not have Disney World without Roy Disney. I mean, he went and just took the ball and ran with it and did the best he could, and I think he did a hell of a job. And we may not have gotten the original vision of Epcot that that Walt wanted, right? But he did a really good job for, you know, for it could have collapsed. Anything else would have collapsed. Any other company yeah. had been like, you know what? Maybe we'll sell the land or we'll hold on to it. We'll do something else. But they're like, nope, we're going to finish this. And the guy, imagine all of us like being that close to retiring. And then like, okay, you just lost your brother who's been your partner for like 40 years in business, whatever, however long it was. And then you got to finish this. You know, it, it, I couldn't imagine. Like, I would love if I could go back in time to have that conversation with Roy Disney and be like, dude, what were you thinking? Like, it just be yeah. like, what were your thoughts? 
know what I'm saying? Like, how did you finish this? Like, how did you get through the day? So I just have a lot of respect for the man. I really do. Um, and yeah, I just, I would love to go back in time and just ask about that. But I love to pay my respects to Roy whenever I go to the parks. I'll sit on a bench with him and Minnie and uh, get a photo. But props to him. You know, he, he made this happen. But we didn't get the Epcot that was wanted, but he did a pretty good job. So he did a really good job. And it's one of those things, too, where Joe, he, he, it, right, I'm going to give an analogy. And this analogy does not fit square. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not perfect. But, like, Katie works in, in the ICUs, right? And sometimes you'll have people who, like, people who have been married a long time who are both sick. And someone will actually stay alive for the other person. Like, they'll, they'll will themselves. I think, I think Roy almost willed himself to complete this project. I think he said, I'm, I'm, this is going to happen. I'm doing this for my brother. I'm dedicating it to my brother. This is what he wanted. And was it exactly? No. But, you know, did they take kind of things from Disneyland to, to put into the Magic Kingdom? Of course. It was known. It was a success. Why not do it? Um, and that leads me, Dan, to we're going to fast forward five years. On October the 1st, 1971, Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom opens with a contemporary in the Polynesian. Uh, their major moment, you know, you're a parks guy, major, major moment for the Disney company. Yeah, and you know, I know I said before that 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 the opening of Disneyland was probably the biggest thing on this list for me. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll modify that a little and say this too, and then also, you know, going back to Roy. I mean, he very well could have been like, "Hey, I'm retiring. You know, we already have a successful park in California. You know, we don't need to to move forward with this project. You know, I'm I'm too old to do this. I don't want to do it. And if this does not open in, on October first, uh, 1971. We we aren't doing this podcast probably, you know, like it's no, we're it's, not. 100% it's, we're not. it's not happening. So, I mean, you know, this is definitely a huge thing. Um, you know, the fact that they chose Florida over, you know, some other options, obviously was a great option. Um, but, you know, again, it's just it's incredible to see the growth that we've seen over the last 50 years with with the park in Florida. A hundred percent. I I'm going to hit this one really quickly. I want to get Charles opinion on it. I put it here because for me, this was a massive part of my childhood. And that is that April 18th, 1983, Disney takes over your television set. And they uh, launched the Disney Channel. It debuts. And this is a massive, massive moment, Joe, for the Disney company. This was, um, it's part of my childhood, too. And Mike would remember this, um, our cable company uh, in the tri-state area. Um, I had two premium channels growing up, three. My parents subscribed to HBO. I had Sports Channel, like which remember because I was a Mets mm -hmm. and uh, Devils fan, and we had Disney Channel, and that was a big deal because that was a paid premium channel that you did not, you know, cable was kind of coming out right, but that was a separate thing, and you know, I was four or five years old when you know this debuted, but I remember growing up and sitting in front of the television watching Disney Channel, watching all those made-for-TV movies, watching the the Wonderful World of Disney. I mean, that's. There was no YouTube. There was obviously there was none of that kind of stuff. But like you wanted your Disney fix, you wanted your Mickey Mouse and, and your, your Fab Five character. You watched the Disney Channel, and it's it's pretty um, pretty fa fascinating history about like all of the people I've gone through, the actors that have come from the Disney Channel have gone to gone on to have successful careers. Um, they've produced a lot of pop icons over the years, and uh, but yeah, that's a huge part of my childhood, man. That was one of the one of our premium channels that we had. I was very lucky to have that because a lot of kids didn't. Mike, do you have that growing up? 
I did. I also remember, um, I mean, that, that was a big part of it. Uh, my parents had a subscription also. I remember having a subscription to a, I think it was like a movie channel. It's called WHT, WHT, I think it was. It was WHT, HBO, Nickelodeon, ESPN, and I remember uh, Disney being the big channels that were like the big thing on TV because, you know, before that it was all just regular TV. You know, you had your, you know, your local networks, 2, 4, 9, 11, whatever it was. And um, they were your local broadcast news. But once we had cable, once my parents were able to afford us getting cable uh, back in those early days, uh, it was this little push-button box on the top, and we had very few channels. And I remember Disney Channel being one of them. And uh, Nickelodeon was another big one. And I kind of remember there being a lot of competition, if I remember correctly, between the Nickelodeon channel and the Disney yep. channel, you know, for the kid kind of stuff. You know, Nickelodeon, I always kind of, sh- as, as a as I guess the, the age that I was at, I kind of like Nickelodeon a little bit more. It was a little bit more cutting mm-hmm. edge. It was a little bit more like, uh, like oh, older. Teen. A yeah, older. because they would have that, that game show on their Double Dare and some of the other stuff. So um, those were really pretty cool. But uh, Disney and, and, and Nickelodeon were definitely the two big kids channels that we would watch when we were when I was that young preteen age. Yeah, no, I, I Dan, the Disney Channel also provides the Disney company with unlimited marketing potential to uh kids and and you know people in their 20s with younger kids 20s and 30s younger kids that are that they're watching and they're able to market the you know parks and movies and all this kind of stuff it's it's a it's a massive get for the disney company to have this this channel that's just dedicated to their product yeah and at least for me this one didn't hit as hit as hard just because when i was a kid we didn't have the Disney Channel at first, so not until I think I was a teenager. So by that point, I wasn't really watching it that much, uh, and then mm. it, it didn't come into into play again until until I had kids. So once I had kids, obviously, uh, a little later on in the '90s, late '90s, that's when it became more of a you know a staple for me. But but as a kid, for me, the Disney Channel wasn't really much, unfortunately. I, I you know I watched Ducktales and you know some other Disney shows on regular TV, but unfortunately, I wasn't uh, able to watch the Disney Channel as a kid. Well, while things are going fantastic on television, things are not going very well on the big screen for the Disney company. And we're seeing the downfall of Disney animation so far that actually uh, they kicked the animators out of their building um, and moved them into uh, what essentially was a trailer. Um, They actually talked multiple times about closing Disney animation, which I think would have been a massive blow to this company. Uh, And you then get Michael Eisner... Uh, you get Roy Disney and you get Jeffrey Katzenberg coming together to start the Disney Renaissance, which is a period between nine, November 17th, 1989 to June 18th, 1999. And you get some of those incredible, incredible films like The Little Mermaid, uh, Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, all those great Mulan, Tarzan, Pocahontas. You get this refurbishment of Disney animation that completely, if you think about it, this is the moment because we're... We're just coming off the Black Cauldron, which is a abysmal movie, uh, and, and you know, absolute failure in the box office. And they're able to come in with these amazing people, um, these amazing scores, you know, uh, and music, and it goes on to impact the company in such a large way that if you look at a Disney park now, the majority of the Disney parks are based on the Disney Renaissance. Um, of course, they're based on newer movies, of course, now, but. The Disney Renaissance absolutely saves this company. Joe, we've talked about it many times that they pushed all their chips into the middle and they said, man, let's hope it lands on the number we need it to. And they do it once again with this incredible kind of rebranding and restructuring of Disney animation. 
Yeah, and also, too, is if you think about it, the Disney Renaissance and all the films that were produced at that time is our generation. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that grew up with that, and we're bringing our families to enjoy and our kids and the next generation to enjoy those 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 properties. So, again, they took another um, you know chance on themselves with a lot of these films, you know, uh, Little Mermaid, Lion King, that kind of, you know, Aladdin. And uh, and it's worked out frozen, and it's kind of worked out for them. I mean, and so like I said, they they've taken a bunch of gambles over the years with some of these films, and it's worked out. Um, you know, so hopefully, uh, you know, and we all hope that we see uh, another one of those coming up soon. I mean, we've had a, a lot of those great classics as growing up, and we've had some pretty decent ones. You know, Moana's pretty good right now and stuff, and there's been some, some really good ones. But I would love to see another you know another Renaissance rebirth, you know, going forward. But we'll, we'll see. Um, Time will tell. That's a kind of a crazy situation going on with that right now. But well, I think too, you see, you almost hit the, you get this perfect storm, Dan, of like, you not only have these three people who actually don't get along at all, but creatively can can hire and run a company to where it's actually pretty successful. You also see a major push for the growth of Walt Disney World with Hollywood Studios uh, opening up and later Animal Kingdom, but also you bring in two of the greatest you know, songwriters in history with Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. And you have this perfect kind of tornado of excellence that comes from Disney company that had really been lacking for the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And, and like I said earlier, the Disney channel really didn't play a part in my life as a kid. This is where I kind of was really more introduced to Disney. You know, I was, you know, I was a little older, but again, this is where these movies all of a sudden became really popular. So these were the ones that I was watching all the time. You know, I was watching the Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame. This is these are the movies that kind of drew me to Disney. And, you know, while I didn't get to visit as a kid and didn't visit as an adult until like 2016, this is what brought me on board to Disney. And this is where I started watching the movies. And then from this point forward, I was Disney all the way. Uh, We just mentioned the Walt Disney World and we, we mentioned the parks and the resorts. And of course, we get a massive addition to the Disney company. In December the 20th of 1991, with the creation and founding of the Disney Vacation Club. Joe, I am going to just sit back, relax, and turn this one over to you. (laughs) Uh, We'll see everybody in 20 minutes on the other side. Joe, this is a huge, huge part uh, addition for this company for the resorts, especially at Walt Disney World. This is actually a huge thing currently for the Walt Disney Company because we've seen it recently. Look, Disney is having... They're, 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 they're challenges right now, right? But the parks and experiences, you know, DCL, um, the parks, the hotels, resorts, and especially Disney Vacation Club are thriving and doing really well. And who would have known back in, you know, 1991 when uh, this first started, you know, as the Disney Vacation Club Resort uh, at Walt Disney World wasn't called Oki West. It was just the Disney Vacation Club Resort. Disney would take, and I say this with, with all due respect to somebody who has timeshares at other places to take kind of a dirty industry and make it like magical. Think about that timeshares. You hear those commercials all the time on TV, get out of your timeshares, get out of your timeshares. DVC is just like, people want to get into it. It's easy to get in and out of it. It's an absolutely amazing product. And if you think about it, like the resort, Oak Key West is an amazing resort. And back in 1991, the rooms were big. Uh, they had all the, the points were cheap to get in. They had, you had free passes. It was such an amazing value back then. And they were, they were, they were seeing an opportunity to cash in, you know, and, 
and it worked. I mean, and right now, I mean, like they're still building more and more. And we just even seen recently, uh, there's been news about, you know, we have the, the cabins at Fort Wilderness are coming that are going to be DVC. They're looking at resurrecting uh, reflections. I mean, the Polynesian Tower is, is currently being built. Uh, I mean, DVC is alive and well, and they they saw this opportunity back in 1991. And it's funny, just if you think about it, the first they had the Old Key West or Disney Vacation Club Resort, right? But then the next two resorts were not even on property. They yep. were down in Vero Beach and Hilton Head. So they yep. weren't even building on property. They were just like they were they were looking to go globally and all over the US. And they they had a charter out in Hawaii they, they, they back in the early nineties to sell. And then they kind of realized like, wow, our bread and butter is, you know, in Walt Disney World. And it's expanded out to California as well with the uh, the the villas out there. So um DVC, it's it's an amazing revenue for the stream for the company. It's an amazing product for us fans that we get to experience like amazing deluxe resorts uh, year after year. For somewhat an affordable price, if you do it right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But uh, it, it's it's a great product. Uh, I'm glad I've been in. It. I wish I would have got into it years ago. But uh, yeah, they did a good job. This is one of those things that is still thriving uh, to this day. So, I think you nailed it. I think we'll move on to the next thing, <laughs> and that is we're fast forwarding to May the third, 1995. The Disney Company has incredible movies. They're right in the middle of the Disney Renaissance. They have their own TV shows. They have incredible parks, incredible resorts. The product is great on land. So why not go to sea? Uh, Disney Cruise Line is founded. Mike, this is a massive announcement that on May the 3rd, 1995, that they are going to take the Disney uh, company, the Disney products, and they're going to take them to sea to transport Disney fans around the world uh, to these incredible sailings. Well, as much as Joe is our resort person, I know you're our cruise line person. So, uh, you know, whenever whenever I think Disney Cruise Lines, I always think of Justin. Um, it's it's something that I, you know, I've I'm not as fortunate to have been on as many as you have. I've been on a few. I know quite a few of the people in our Disney family have been on multiple multiple cruises, have those high tier levels. Um, but I will say that the same magic that you get in the parks, whether it be California, whether it be Florida, whether it be any other Disney parks, you definitely get that magic out on sea. Um, the, the Castaway K Island is something of beauty. Um, if I had to, if I had to pick a place to spend for the rest of my life, it would be there. I mean, it is just a picturesque, beautiful place that they have that as part of their you know cruise itinerary on a regular basis the actual ships themselves you know the same hospitality the same magic the same uh, level of you know customer service that you get in the parks you get there as well too so you know if anybody is even slightly thinking about possibly being on the fence on a cruise you can't go wrong with the disney cruise line it's not just for kids it's a great cruise it's a great family cruise it's great you know just get a little relaxing cruise so um i mean they did a great job it was an amazing part of their history and i think it's something that they continue to do and continue to do right and uh, i love to see that that company is still moving in a fantastic direction let me give you a fun little story dan about disney cruise line okay <laughs> so disney cruise line existed somewhat uh, before May the third, nineteen ninety-five. So, back in the big red boat, back in uh, nineteen eighty-five, Disney had a relationship with Premier Cruise Line. So, Premier Cruise Line would, with this relationship, would uh, sell land and sea packages, go to Walt Disney World, and then you could set sail on the Premier Cruise Line there. And it also allowed Disney characters to kind of make their appearance on the ships. Uh, now, let me give you one of the dumbest decisions a company's ever made. In 1993, this amazing uh, Premier Cruise Line says, hey, 
Disney, we're not going to re-up with your contract. We're instead going to do a contract with Warner Brothers, and we're going to have Looney Tune characters come on board our boat, leaving Disney with no ship to sail on. So Disney then says, well, let's go to a couple other major uh, cruise brands. They go to Carnival, they go to Royal Caribbean, and try to sign the same sort of deal where they would be able to put their characters on these cruise lines. And Royal Caribbean and Carnival said, not happening here, Disney. Get your own ship. And Disney said, oh, that's not a bad idea. I think we'll do that. And so they decided to build their own cruise fleet, uh, cruise line fleet. And that's how Disney Cruise Line is started. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I know some people will complain from time to time that, you know, the parks have lost their magic. I, I don't really agree with that. But one thing I've never heard people say is that the magic on the ship is 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 always there. Uh, again, the, the service there is absolutely incredible. Uh, the food is really good. You know, yeah, it's it's an expensive vacation. But I guess if, if we look back over the last few years, especially uh, post-COVID, where Disney has become definitely a more expensive vacation, it seems like Cruise Line has kind of almost aligned itself with the parks now where you could almost do both at similar prices. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people say that Disney Cruise Line is the, the best part of Disney. So, I mean, if that's something you're interested in, it's something you definitely want to look at because the, the Cruise Line is absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, Joe, it's one of those things where we remember back in those days when Disney Cruise Line's first being formed. And although the company is formed officially on May the 3rd, 1995, because they be, they begin construction on the Disney Magic, um, it's not until July 30th, 1998, that you get the first voyage of the Disney Magic and Disney Cruise Line becomes completely operational. This is Disney's first time setting sail under their own brand, under their own flag, making their own rules doing their own experiences and it's a massive success like so much sojo that i'm looking at cruises into 2025 on the disney treasure and i'm telling you it is a massive success because there is very limited availability going into april 2025 and uh the prices are let's just say they're not carnival prices okay and somebody who's gotten into, uh, and I have you to thank for this, Justin, and uh, our DDP family here has gotten into to cruising lately. My three big cruises I've been on on, on Royal Caribbean ships, um, DCL's got a very loyal following. And for what they charge, I think that the, and like what Dan said, the, the, the cast members and the experience on board the ship sounds, I've never experienced, but sounds absolutely amazing. And the product kind of warrants the price. And I think that they're doing such a great job with that. I mean, that they're building, continue to build new ships. I think they acquired one ship, right? But they're building another one. Correct. And they're expanding their fleet and they're going to different places. And um, yeah, I just think it's uh, something that I would love to experience. I think there's a couple things missing. I still would like to see them put a, a casino on their ship. I think that you playing like slot machines with Mickey Mouse on it would be absolutely amazing or playing craps with like, you know, Mickey Mouse dice would be, You're would a be winner. A, you, know, be, uh, you tell me that wouldn't be a hit. Come on. But um, yeah, it sounds like DCL is an amazing product um, for somebody who's new to cruising. Like Justin, you're helping me. You, you're, you guys in a way with, with your travel with another cruise on Royal Caribbean and we're not booked out as far and I've seen the prices already and for what DCL charges and they're booking out even that far in advance, the product has to be that good. So they definitely hit the home run with that. I really hope that they continue to keep that level of service because I would like to experience it one day. And from what everybody says, it sounds like an awesome, awesome experience. I love cruising. So I couldn't even imagine what a, a Disney cruise uh, is like, cause it sounds like a ton of fun. 
did did well, they? So, hey, Justin, did okay, they? Yeah. Did, did they announce like that mega ship that they purchased? That they're yep, they're yep. re. That's going to be a ship that's going to be out of Asia. Asia, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, correct. and I thought originally it was supposed to have a casino, but obviously with it being bought by Disney, they said yeah, it wouldn't. It'll be taken out. But they also said that in Asia, you can't have a cruise ship without a casino on it. So, do you, have they announced one way or the other that there would or wouldn't be one? Last I last I heard, there will not be there. Yeah. No Disney Cruise Line ship will have a casino on yeah. it. Like that's just not not the brand. Not you're what they're going to do. <laughs> you're, you're a winner. I love um, that. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. What all the cash? Help? Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. It's it's one of those things. That if, you, if you go back 38 years to Disney's on Premier Cruise Line, the big red boat, and they're they're doing their thing, and then you fast forward, they're a, you know they don't have a home, and it just makes me giggle so hard because listen, I'm not knocking Carnival. Carnival's fun. I go the Carnival ship that goes right out from our port here down from our house. We can go jump on anytime. But to just think of what executives sat down and Disney said, "Hey, we'd love to bring our product on board your cruise ship," and they said, no. "Not a chance." Justin, there is a documentary on YouTube. Um, and that's why I was kind of like, I was yeah. like, you know, saying big red, big red boat. Uh, they interviewed one of the CEOs from Premier Cruise Lines, and he tells the story about it, and he's like kicking himself for it for doing it, even to this oh, day. Of course, yeah, it's. Yeah. Don't be wrong. I love Bugs Bunny, but come on, man. We just talked about nostalgia. Like Bugs Bunny has a little nostalgia, but Mickey Mouse is insane. Mm, so, yeah. uh, listen, the DCL, nothing to go but nowhere to go but up. Um, there, it, it's awesome getting the new ships, but the best thing the new ships do is they give you more ports of call they're able to reach more places around the world they're able to reach more customers around the world and that is a huge draw for people the fact that they're now dipping their uh their white glove into the asia market is massive um you're gonna have more australia cruises and all that kind of stuff so huge for the disney cruise line major addition to the disney company on may the 3rd 1995 uh really really big let's move on we've got a couple left here this one is going to kind of encompass a few things so I want to get your all's opinion on it, and uh, I'll go one by one, kind of leading leading to to major things here. Uh, and and I'm going to start with you, Dan. And this is January of 2006. We start to see the major acquisition era of Bob Iger and the uh, acquisition of Pixar joining the Disney company. Dan, this is a massive moment with the release of Toy Story uh, for the Disney company. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, back back in 95 when Toy Story came out, it was the first uh, full-length feature film that was completely com uh, computer-animated. Uh, uh, so, I mean, again, it, it's incredible. It, was, it, it, it made sense for Disney to merge with Pixar. I think since yeah. Pixar came out, they, they've had like 27 or 30-some movies. So, I mean, we're talking about 30 movies in, in about 27 years. I mean, all of that's in the Disney vault. I mean, so many great movies over that short period of time. Uh, and you know, I, I again, it, it, I know it's it's hard to, to figure out which of these mergers that you're going to bring up is is the biggest. Um, but it's it's hard to think that Pixar is not pretty darn close to the top. I know just because it started from scratch. You know, it's not like Disney acquired this when it was when it was huge. Oh, it's it, exactly. I mean, this this is one of the things. So, I mean, they they, they spend a, a pretty little penny, seven point four billion. Um, converting over the shares of Pixar to Disney stock. I mean, this is this is pretty massive. Um, but like you said, I mean, Pixar had already proven their worth. Like they had had these these successes and stuff like that. And it's just 
for me, man, when you when you look at some of these movies that they've put out, and we talked about it earlier, that this was this much like the Disney Renaissance is almost like a secondary Renaissance, Joe, because they do bring in these beloved characters that now we see throughout the parks and throughout the cruise line and throughout just Disney Company as a whole. Yeah, and these characters are we look at them as being normal now. They're not like, oh, it's Pixar, and this is right. like Dis- like th- we've adopted them as part of the Disney family, and they're some of our most beloved characters that we love so much. So, I mean, they did a great job at incorporating that and making it not feel like a secondary kind of like afterthought. Like it, it, they're they're Disney, you know, you know, through and through. So they did a great job with that. Um, I, I'm going to come to you, Mike, because this next one is a monster for you. And I don't know if you ever really saw this coming as a child, but on October the 30th, 2012, for $4.05 billion, Disney acquires Star Wars. Massive get for the company. We see it all over uh, the parks now. Characters are now Disney property. Massive acquisition for Bob Iger and the Disney company. Yeah, I mean, my childhood, it was sprinkled in the park a little bit. You know, when you had Star Tours, that was your kind of, you know, a little bit of fantasy ride you could take. Um, obviously, this is a huge acquisition. The, you know, the building of Galaxy's Edge, you know, because they had this acquisition, was able to allow them to do that. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, I wish I could have relive you know relived my childhood with the way the the kids have the star wars now like any kid who's a star wars fan i mean there's a lot of other things that they're fans of now i don't know if they're still there wasn't really a lot around when i was a kid so i don't know if that's why i was just a diehard star wars person um it was pretty much just sports and sci-fi you know sports and science fiction and the science fiction was the star wars stuff there was Mm -hmm. a few other little things out there you know like battlestar galactica and a couple other you know if you're a star trek fan but um star wars for me was it obviously it was a major part of my childhood um, for the kids that are into it now, they have such an amazing library of stuff to get into. You know, I was kind of limited to what I had. It was pretty much three movies and a few books here and there that were kind of, you know, fantasy spinoff kind of things. So when you were able to get that little bit of sprinkled in, you know, magic of Star Wars, whether it be in a video game or whether it be on Star Tours or something just a little bit extra above and beyond what you would normally get was really, really cool. And uh, for the kids to be able to have this huge experience now with this huge array of stories and side stories and be able to watch it on demand all the time on Disney Plus uh, was really, really cool. Uh, huge, huge part for me. I, you know, I love going to the parks as it is, but being able to go to Galaxy's Edge and walk in there and see the Falcon, you know, something that was a major part of my childhood uh, on a regular basis is just super cool. Yeah, ma- massive acquisition. Joe, we're going to move on to, uh, t- you know, it's funny. Guys, you all know this feeling. When you're in the Disney parks and you're wearing your magic band and you start to scan it, hey, I'm just going to get a little drink here. And you do a little scan and type in your type in your pin. And then you go to dinner and, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get the steak tonight. And you scan your magic band, you do, do a little pin, you know. And you, oh, you know what, I really want that Haunted Mansion sign. That thing's awesome. It's, I know it's $300, but let's just scan that magic band. You know, it's fine. We'll scan the magic band. It's not real money. It's magic band money, you know. I think... Uh, I think Mr. Iger was wearing his magic band a little too long because uh, <laughs> we we go from seven billion with with Pixar to four billion with the acquisition of Star Wars to the acquisition of 21st Century Fox by the Walt Disney Company, and it was for uh, 71.3 billion dollars. Joe, this may be you know like you said, go back to the first of this episode. 
Walt had massive successes and massive failures. We may look back, and this may be one of the things that Bob Iger wished he hadn't done. Um, this would be one of those things that if Roy Disney were still with us uh, on it this earth today, it definitely wouldn't have happened. Um, <laughs> DDP Today, our show here, we try to keep it positive, keep it, keep it moving forward, right? keep it Disney right. But in all fairness to everything that's going on and the biggest moments in the company, we also may have to shed a little bit of light on, on some of the negative stuff. And we're kind of bringing this up now because everybody knows this it's because of i think this acquisition mostly uh, there's some probably other factors involved but this one is the reason one of the reasons why the company is kind of having some challenges right now uh, going forward um they essentially were bidding against themselves uh you know comcast was kind of bidding themselves yeah. up and uh i know that this was an acquisition of your beloved simpsons justin you know what i'm saying but L- worth um, every 71 billion dollars spent yeah, I don't know how many. Listen, they got like what forty seasons. So I don't know how many like you know billions of dollars per season they spent on this, but um, but yeah, they, it's been one of those um, uh, acquisitions. You know that they've done a lot with Star Wars, right? Done a lot with Marvel, uh, with Pixar. They haven't really done anything with this. It's been kind of like a big purchase for no reason. And I think uh, you know, Mister Iger maybe had a little bit too much fun, maybe a little bit too much of a monorail bar crawl and uh, scanning his magic band too much, and uh, you know, was bidding up stuff online. I don't know, but um, I think they would definitely take this one back. They made a lot of those, you know, pushed the chips all in. We talked about it in this episode tonight, and I think this was the one time they pushed it maybe in a little too little too much, and uh, I think they regret it. Um, hopefully, history will show they've pulled themselves out of problems before uh like we said only time will tell but uh it is this one hurts a little bit as disney fans because it not only affects you know the company and the stock price also but it also affects our park experience and what we experience on disney cruise line disney vacation club and disney you know disney world disneyland and everything everything that's going on the parks across the world it it affects everything you know prices just went up um across the board on everything so um this acquisition it has a lot of effect on a lot of people and a lot of experiences so uh only time will tell, but yeah, we let, we just like had this one back. <laughs> we could pull this one back, go back in time, and not do this one, but we'll see. I I 100% agree. Uh, it's one of those things too where, listen, they, there are multiple challenges all in a row the Disney company is facing. Like I said, 100 years, you're go- even you're around 100 years, you're going to face challenges. You're going to have times that are up and down, um, and this is you know a time with with the acquisition that maybe Disney didn't quite. Didn't, they didn't quite think this through far enough. They just kind of wanted it and said, hey, I'm, it almost reminds me of like Riley going into, you know, a store. She's like, I just want it. And I'm like, yeah, but the money's not there. And she's like, but I, and I'm like, how much is in your, your bank account? Because she has her own little you know, credit card type thing. And she's like, I don't got enough for it. I was like, see, there you go. Um, they just kind of did it. So we'll see what happens with that. But also another major um, moment in Disney history, and this will be the final one we'll talk about is uh is the most recent kind of major moment and that of course is COVID-19 impacting the Disney company. Dan, we've seen throughout history that Disney has had to face adversity. We talk World War II, um, you know, we're doing propaganda films there. You know, we talk about failures, we talk about the loss of Oswald. We talk, you know, there's you know, the death of Walt Disney right after purchasing the land for the Florida project. Like there's a lot of stuff that's happened over the years that they have has been a hurdle for the company. I think if we look back on the 200th uh, anniversary of the company, I think this may go down as one of the biggest hurdles this company's ever had to face, and that is COVID-19. On March the 12th, uh, the company announced, uh, March 12th, 2020, the company announced 
you got the Disneyland Resort, Walt Disney World Resort, and Disneyland Paris would all be closing on March 15th um, through at least the end of the month, making it the first time that all six Disney resorts worldwide were closed. Um, so multiple things happened uh, throughout you know the next couple of weeks, including uh, Disney uh, lays off a 1,000 staff uh, at the Disney theme parks and hotels. They got put on indefinite unpaid leave. Of course, you know, this impacted our co-host Dave you know, firsthand, we got to see this up close and personal and see the, how hard this was for the Disney cast members to be able to do this and to go through this. And this was one of those things that Disney had to jump through hoops to, to really still be successful as they are right now, Dan, uh, to, to try to go through COVID the way they did. Yeah. I mean, uh, I could not be more wrong about this when this was happening, um, I was the one saying, "Oh, there's no, Dis- no there's no way Disney's going to close. It never closes. It's not going to close." And then all of a sudden, they announced it was closing for a couple weeks. And I'm like, "All right, well, it'll be closed for two weeks, and then it's going to open. Everything's going to be back to normal." And you know, I was wrong again. And again, it, it's something that nobody really could prepare for. We, you know, we, we've never seen anything like this before. Uh, Disney definitely went through a ton of changes over the last couple years. I mean, we've lost a lot in the parks. Uh, you know, finally, we are getting a lot of the cast members back. So hopefully, you know, you know, we're getting to a point where we're kind of back to normal. The good news is, is if you look back or look ahead to 2024, we, you know, they recently announced we're getting park hopping back where you can park hop anytime you want, which is, you know, which is great news. We're getting the dining plan back next year, which is really cool. Um, they're making changes to Genie Plus that are that are supposed to be similar. We haven't heard exactly what it's like, but it seems like it's kind of like the old fast pass system mm-hmm. we don't know exacts but so i mean there are some things that are kind of coming back but heck it's going to be 2024 we're talking you know four years later we're we're still trying to get back to the way disney was so i mean they are definitely in recovery mode i think they're getting there uh but again it's it's a long process mike this uh, this this went on for a few months with the the park's completely desolate those photos of the parks when there's just no one it's like a ghost town um, you know, this went on. They finally, the Orange County Recovery Task Force approved Disney's phase uh, reopening, and they were allowed to do a phase reopening with Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom reopening on July the 11th, and Epcot re- and Hollywood Studios reopening on July 15th. I was down there two weeks after this to experience the parks, and Mike, it was the weirdest Disney experience I've ever had. I've told the story. I was in. Uh, I was in Animal Kingdom Lodge right after it reopened, and it was like us and like four other families. Like, we didn't see anybody. It was like The Shining, man. It was crazy. Yeah, I kind of pictured it like, you know, I was a huge Walking Dead fan when the series first came out. And, you know, you would have these abandoned areas, and there would be nobody around, maybe one or two couple of people, you know, walking here and there. And I kind of got that that feel of that's what it was. You know, it was kind of like, you know, like an an abandoned theme park or just, it was just really um, weird. You know, all throughout, different generations, different people always have that, you know, specific thing that they remember that's like life-altering you know like everybody remembers where they were when kennedy got shot or when reagan got shot or when the you know when the trade center got hit all of those momentous things and i think the majority of the people now i mean everybody remembers the COVID stuff you know my my kids generation there's a lot of things that they don't remember um you know obviously my my kids are too young to remember some of the a lot of the important events that i have but um yeah i mean huge huge impact that's you know certain things that you'll have an impact in it you know 
takes on for years and years. And this is definitely something that's really changed the company. Um, certain things were, I mean, at the time it was better when you had the little separation online of people. That was great when you I got the parks that. back. Uh, I kind of miss that a little bit. Um, you know, some people need to, you know, shower a little bit more when they're down in the parks. Florida is hot. And uh, having that little six feet of separation online was really good. Um, but yeah, so the certain things came out of it that were good at the time. But um, it is getting back to normal. More and more cast members are getting back to being what they're supposed to be doing. And um, like like Dan said, he touched on some of the things that are finally coming back that I think should have come back a while ago. But uh, but we'll see how it all plays out. And uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful for the future that it's going to be kind of back to the way it was pre-COVID completely. Michael's around for this. Let me explain how hard it was to do a Disney podcast when the parks were closed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we didn't miss a week. So, uh, you know, we we, we pushed through. Here's the thing, Joe. Um, This, you know, a phase reopening Walt Disney World by four days. But we're talking Disney World opens. All four parks are open on July 15th, 2020, right? After a March 12th, 2020 closing. You don't get Disneyland reopened until April the 1st of 2021. And then you don't get Disneyland Paris uh, reopened till June 17th of 2021, which means it was 17 months before all parks worldwide were all open at the same time. Yeah, we were lucky here on the East Coast in the state of Florida, you know, being able after only a few months to get back. Think about our, our brothers and sisters out in California where, you know, they were struggling to get Disneyland open. They were actually charging to have like, lunch in the shop in the downtown Disney district. Just if you, if you were jonesing to get like your Disney fix and to, to get close to the parks, like that's all you had to hold on to was like things like that. So, um, I mean, yeah, we were lucky to, uh, we were lucky to, uh, you know, to have that in Florida. And I, and honestly, thank goodness for, for Walt Disney World to keep the Disney company afloat because yeah. it was just such a crazy time. It was something that the world had never seen before, or at least in modern times, I'd really never seen. So, uh, I'm glad that we came through this. Um, I remember going to Disney Springs one of the first days it reopened um, back, you know, back in the day. And it was a very eerie and interesting um, experience. And it's funny because, you know, in Facebook and Instagram and even like your Google photos, will show you like memories from so many years ago. And every once in a while, I'll get like pictures of like you know, pictures I took, like walking down Main Street with like nobody around. It was, it was absolutely a crazy time. I'm kind of glad I did experience it, but I never want to experience it again if you kind of catch my drift. So, but we'll see. 100%. Well, listen, over 100 years, there's been a lot that's happened to create the company that we know and love. Uh, there's been the ups, there's been the downs, and we've seen a lot of those moments and talked about a lot of those moments tonight. And that, I think, having the perspective to be able to look back, to see what was successful, to see where it was grown, to see the men and the women who stood and, uh, and created this incredible brand, this incredible company, is uh, extremely important. And on this 100-year birthday, we wanted to be able to do that. So we celebrate the biggest moments in the Disney history with this episode. Uh, and I, I couldn't be uh, uh, happier to do it with you fellas tonight. Yeah, you know, we celebrated the biggest moments in Disney history. But, you know, part of that des- Disney history is families out there making amazing memories on their vacations. And that's pretty much what it's all about. You know, getting together with the family, having a great vacation, spending some time, spending some quality time with those families. You know, whether it be eating at a restaurant, going on a ride. And the most important thing, I believe, when you're on a vacation and you're spending some great family time is to get some pictures of that so that you can pass it on to other people and show later, hey, we had such a great time at Disney. And if you have those amazing pictures, post them on our DDP Today Facebook page because we have an amazing DDP Facebook page group that's 
post some great pictures, and it brings me to my favorite thing every week, and that would be Picks of the Week. Picks of the Week. Picks of the Week. It's time for us to get our Picks of the Week. All right, guys, I'm glad I was able to make it on today's show to do my favorite thing every week, and that's Picks of the Week. And uh, Joe, what's your Pick of the Week? So my pick of the week, and uh, I could sense the excitement in this post with very little writ, but I could sense it. And it goes out to a Donnie Hebert, and he writes, uh, getting ready to head to the parks for the first time as Florida locals. And he's got a picture of his USB charger with all the Magic Bands charging, all the Magic Band Plus charges, Magic Band Plus Magic Bands charging. And uh, I know that feeling of being a, a Florida resident, a Florida local, and getting ready to go to the parks. It's going to be a completely different experience. It's going to be an amazing experience. I'm super excited for you, Donnie. I hope you had a great time. But being a Florida local comes with responsibility. It means that you got to keep continuing to post in our Facebook group because if you're there more than most people, we got to see what's going on. So congrats, Donnie. I hope you had a great time uh, for your first time being a locals in the park. And for that, Donnie gets my pick of the week. Very cool. Great family. Great to hear that they're now locals. Very cool. Uh, Dan, what's your pick of the week? Uh, you know, for my pick of the week, I'm going to go over to the Sorcerer's Running page. Um, you know, this is this this is part of what inspired me to to finally get off my butt and get to training for this half marathon in, in January. Uh, Sarah Castano posted uh, a couple of pictures yesterday. It says for those who signed up for the virtual half weekend, boxes have started to ship. She saw a post about some of the uh, the merch and stuff like that that are being sent out for the uh, the wine and dine virtual. Uh, looks really cool, and I saw that, and you know, I know I spoke to uh, Kyle McCammon when we were uh, at our Universal Unleashed uh, event back in September, and he was yelling at me, telling me that I needed to get to start training because I told I told him I wasn't going to start until December. He's like, "You can't do that. You got to you got to get going." He's like, "If you need help, he's like, I can help you." So I I promised him that I was going to start on October first. That didn't happen, but. Uh, you know, I saw this post from Sarah. I'm like, you know what? I got to get out there and start start to get going. So that that journey started for me today. Hopefully tomorrow morning when I wake up, I don't fall out of bed. I could actually walk out of bed. And uh, but yeah, I love that post from Sarah. Uh, good luck to everyone who signed up for the virtual. That's going to be a ton of fun, I'm sure. And that is definitely my pick of the week. Very cool, great pick, uh, Justin. What's your pick of the week? I'm going to go with Jessica Demke. Uh, what what a great! You didn't even know we were doing this this week, Jess, but. Look at you. It fits perfectly with our uh, our episode. So this morning when I woke up, JJ, uh, I told him it was the Disney Company's 100th birthday. He got so excited and said, we need to share cake with Mickey and sing happy birthday. And it's him and all of his pals. Uh, happy birthday, JJ, uh, to you. And uh, man, I tell you what, that you look like you're surrounded by all your friends, all your stuffies, and that's the way to do it, buddy. Uh, absolutely love the picture. Love that you're keeping it Disney. And uh, happy birthday, JJ. Very cool. Great pick. Uh, my pick of the week is going to go to Jonah Havens. And uh, it says, just got back to our resort. Barbie and Ken took over the not-so-scary Halloween party. Great pictures. They're in front of the castle, dressed up as Barbie and Ken, riding Tron, looking great. And uh, you guys have my pick of the week. I don't know if it was JJ's birthday, but I'm going to say happy birthday anyways. Because once I re reread the post, I think it was he was just celebrating their birthdays, which is even more cute than if it was his birthday. And he's doing this like... Dude, that's awesome, man. You're an awesome, awesome little kid. Uh, so big props, JJ. Um, yeah, look, guys, awesome episode. Great topic because it's one of those things that looking back is important. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people listening to this are Disney fans. And maybe you're just a fan of the parks or maybe you're just a fan of Cruise Line. And, but maybe you heard a story or a moment 
that you didn't know about today that you can go back and learn a little bit more about because there are those influential moments over the last hundred years that have created the company that we love today. Um, and so I always appreciate the fact that when we can look at a little bit of the history and do that. Uh, boys, over on the patron side, we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk um, Walt Disney World tours. There's some news coming out about them, and we want to I want to go through it a little bit with you guys and chat about tours. Have some fun over there. Of course, we are right now actively raising money for Base Camp, uh, Children's Cancer Charity. Guys, this is so important. This is something we do every year is raise money for a Central Florida local charity uh, to help these kids fighting cancer. Look, we need you to really come together and let's do this, okay? So you can go over right now to www.basecamp.org backslash DDP4BC. That's DDP4BC. Anything you can give, or even if you can just share that link to people that you know this is important to, uh, we want to raise as much money for these kids as possible. So let's let's get it going. Let's absolutely crush this, and I know we will do that together. Um, lots of great shows, of course, on the YDF Media Network. Check that out. And if you want to be a part of the patron family, click below, and uh, we'll be there. We do have some fun stuff coming up. Um, the podcast will be matching donations coming up very shortly, so uh, we'll want you to donate money there for the charity so that way we can match it and uh, we can have some fun there. So uh, lots of fun stuff with the show. Boys, let's close this up and head over to Patron Mike coming to you first. Yeah, sorry I got to get on with you guys late tonight. You know, work kind of uh, called me in a little bit late to keep me staying, but uh, I'm glad I got to jump on for a little bit. Glad I got to talk some Disney stuff, some 100th birthday. Um, great talking with you guys. Looking forward to Patreon as usual. Great seeing you all, and uh, miss you guys all, and I will see you guys next week. Love it. Dan? Boy, I tell you, when I spoke to you this afternoon, uh, I was like, I was dragging. I had a late night at the firehouse. I was up half the night. Um you know, I I probably stumbled on my words a little bit tonight because I still think I'm I'm feeling a little bit like a zombie. But uh, I'm glad I was able to get on tonight. Great topic. Great to see you boys, and uh, can't wait for Patreon. Joe, uh, don't worry, Dan. I stumble on my words every night that we record, <laughs> so don't feel. <laughs> so no, another great show tonight, Mike. I'm so glad you could jump on. I know we missed Dave tonight. He had a, a big weekend over at uh, Comic Con in New York, so hopefully uh, he had a great time there. And uh, looking forward to Patreon. So is Patreon standby. You guys are on deck. Absolutely love it. DDP family, have an amazing week. Spread some cheer. Make someone smile. Smile yourself. Be the best version of yourself. We love you. And until next time, we will see you real soon. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good night. See you guys. On behalf of the Disney Dads, we want to say thank you. We hope you find a little magic in your life every day. Spread some Disney love and keep moving forward. Each of us has a dream, a heart's desire. It calls to us. And when we're brave enough to listen and bold enough to pursue, that dream will lead us on a journey to discover who we're meant to be. All we have to do is look inside our hearts and unlock the magic within. Ready to begin. Let the and that's a wrap. Lovely. Clear. This has been YDF Media Productions.